Fun Ideas Productions presents the Fun Ideas Podcast. Hi, this is Mark Arnold, and welcome to Fun Ideas Podcast number 126. This episode is sponsored by the fine folks at Lee's Comics. From high atop the stately Lee's Comics mansion, we bring you the Lee's Comics Radio Hour with tonight's special guests, Spider-Man, Superman, Batman, Cerebus the Aardvark, and yours truly, Wally Fields. Friends, have you tried Lee's Comics? Lee's Comics is better than the leading comic book store. Wait a minute. Lee's Comics is the leading comic book store, based on arbitrary standards set by Lee Hester himself. Lee's Comics eBay store is still going strong with over 10,000 vintage comics, the majority of which are now on sale. For half off, choose from Lee's huge stock of golden, silver, bronze, and modern-age comics, and specializing in Silver Age Marvel titles. You can count on friendly service, accurate grading, and quick, secure shipping, backed by a money-back guarantee. To check out Lee's eBay store, go to eBay. Click Advanced Search to the left of the search bar. Scroll down to Sellers and enter Lee's Comics, Inc., period. That's L-E-E-S-C-O-M-I-C-S-I-N-C, period. Don't forget the period. Lee's Comics is shipping daily with no delays. New items daily. Mention the Fun Ideas podcast and get a free bonus gift. Long title, Looking for the Good Times, Examining the Monkey Song One by One by Michael A. Ventrella and Mark Arnold. A book that examines each song, gives lots of details about each song, and our own personal opinions. You can find this book on Amazon, Barnes & Nobles, and anywhere where good books are being sold. Our webpage is wordpress.monkeys.com, where you can see many of the songs and give your own opinions of them. And we will be discussing this more on Zilch. Hey, Michael, it says here we've written another book about the monkeys. Wasn't the first one enough? Not at all, Mark. Our original book, Looking for the Good Times, Examining the Monkey Songs One by One, was very successful, but only covered half the story. Which half? The group half. Our new book, Headquartered, A Timeline of the Monkey's Solo Years, covers the solo half. Who knew the monkeys record so many solo albums? Not only that, but this book covers all of their solo projects, including stage shows, horse racing, running record labels, directing and starring in TV shows and movies, voice acting, and jail. Jail? Did the monkeys go to jail? Ah, you have to read the book to find out. You've sold me. Have you sold them? Who, who, who's them? Those people out there listening to this. Well, listen to this. This book has discographies, photos, and other information about the prefab for Mickey, Davey, Peter, and Mike, the solo monkeys, plus another nifty cover by Scott Shaw. Wow, he did our last cover. And this one's equally good. Where can you get this masterpiece? 
announcer. Announcer? That's me. <clears throat> Get headquartered. A timeline of the monkey solo years, written by Michael A. Ventrilla and Mark Arnold. Those two guys. It's available in hardback, paperback, or ebook from BearManorMedia.com or from Amazon. Get your copies today. Cool. I'm going to get one today. I'm still working on my Madden Turtles books and also articles about the Richie Rich comic strip, Charlton Comics, and Popeye. I also just created the index for the proof for the Total Television Scrapbook. Uh, no news at the moment for my Disney, Pac-Man, and Warren Kremer books, but I will let you know when it comes out. On today's show, we feature a good friend of mine who is a killer harmonica player of the blues. Here he is, Jim Durantz. Hi, this is Mark Arnold from the Fun Ideas Podcast, and today I have a friend of mine. His name is Jim Durantz. And how are you, sir? Marvelous. Bloody marvelous. Glad to be here. And um, basically, the reason I wanted to have you on my show is because we talk about all types of elements of pop culture. And uh, uh, you, uh, I, I learned about you from my ex-girlfriend's uh, best friend's brother. That's you. And I found out you play a harmonica and a mean harmonica at that and tour around and uh, play concerts in the San Francisco Bay Area mainly, but all over the place. And so I just wanted to talk to you a little bit about that, and just like we have a lot of common interests, and we'll have a little fun for a few minutes for an hour or so. We're, we're, we're quite the eclectic, sir. Yes. <laughs> yeah. so, it's funny. Go ahead. I usually start off uh, by saying, you could say what you're going to say too, but I usually start off by saying, tell me a little bit about yourself. And how you got interested in the music, especially blowing the harmonica bit. It's funny. Um, my musical life began in grade school, I think fourth grade. We had a music teacher in a school orchestra, and she played wonderful violin, and I was completely enchanted. And my dutiful father rented her botic violin for me but never could encourage me to practice. And it, I seemed to have had 10 thumbs mm -hmm. when I was a child. And uh, so that didn't go very far. Played in the Corey School Orchestra. That was a lot of fun. <laughs> and then I uh, had the radio. You know, there was two stations, I think, and they played a song with a lot of harmonica on it. I said, oh, that's cool. And I rode my bicycle to Campy Music in the Old Valley Fair. Yeah, and uh, they knew all the kids wanted to play that song, uh, Born in Chicago by Paul Butterfield. Oh. So he, sold, he sold me the correct harmonica, and I figured it out. And I said, <laughs> I love this instrument. It requires no dexterity, and I can play quietly so people won't say, are the cats fighting in your room again? That was my violin practice. Uh, I love the violin, you know, <laughs> but uh, from a safe distance. Um <laughs> I just kind of noodle around on it for from then, you know, from age 12 onward. Uh, and I had a friend in high school who was an absolute musical prodigy. He, he was friends with Chris Kane and people, you know, that kept at it, got really good. Uh, but he taught me everything I need to know about music. And we'd literally sit in his woodshed and uh, he'd say, learn this, do this, do this, this your solo. You get one note. 
and he'd be wailing away on guitar, and I'd be going do 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 like Morse code. Uh, but I, I learned how to phrase, how to not overplay, how to accompany guitar, and not just be playing a bunch of stuff. Hmm. And uh, I thought I had it figured out. I didn't. Hmm. But yeah. I, as far as we had a great little combo, we'd literally we'd get on an off-ramp and hitchhike and get a ride and get in the car and just start jamming hmm. and get a ride to Santa Cruz. And they usually either, uh, they never jumped us off at the next off-ramp. We'd get a ride to where we wanted to go. We hmm. figured we hit on something. We got as far as uh, San Jose to Bolinas. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> a great place to end up hitchhiking to, you know, and sleeping <laughs> on the beach. Those are the good old days. You could do that sort of stuff. It's yeah, like yeah. when two scraggly young guys that look fairly harmless and work. Right. <laughs> and uh, they had a modicum of talent, and we'd entertain our rides. That was a, a beautiful, beautiful thing to look back on. Um, I stopped playing music because the scene changed, and I thought, oh, I better get serious about life and get a degree or something, which I never finished. <laughs> I did do the school and I did work in a serious business for a while. And I just kind of got the bug again to play. Uh, mm. I, had some, I met a guy, uh, Jay Maduri, the owner of the Poor House Bistro. Have you ever been there? It's a famous, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, still, it's quite famous. Yeah, that's what I asked movie. you recently when we saw each other. Yeah. It's still there and you told me a story about it moving and stuff, but you can tell that. They're going to move it. Yeah, it's going <laughs> to stay alive uh, in another, yet another location. Mm. Um, anyway, I met Jay at Tower Records in Campbell, and we're flipping through vinyl. Mm -hmm. And like, you play? Yeah. You play? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what sort of band? Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and he had a beautiful music room. His brother, Jeff, uh, he was an amazing collector of records. He had a room. Going to the guy's first house for the first time. He had a room, they'd make custom little boxes and they'd be filled with vinyl and he just bought vinyl and the room was surrounded with vinyl. And the first time I walked in, I was just like, oh, dude. <laughs> <laughs> and they had some gear, a little PA. And so we get in there and work up some tunes and all the records we bought. Uh, of course, Jeff had it all. So we had a wonderful reference library and tried to figure out playing blues because harmonica, you got to play blues. Hmm. Another a little side note. I learned how to play country harmonica by uh, <laughs> I got shipped away to East Oregon. I, I was in Oregon before all you guys. Uh, 73, 1973, my father thought I needed some straightening out. So he shipped me off to his buddy. I called him Uncle Ernie. He had a trucking company way in the middle of East Oregon, a town called Aragon, Oregon. It really exists. It's between boredom and standstill. <laughs> Boardman and Stanstead, uh, Stan something. Yeah. Is that further east than like Sisters? That's as far east as I got. It's further east. It's on the river. Okay. Right before the river. Okay. McNary Dam's right there. One of these days we'll get to Bend and go to Idaho and all that stuff, but for now. Yeah. Well, this is on the way to Idaho. It's off <laughs> the interstate, but it was a great experience. Anyway, I went back with a buddy, Stuart Smith. We, uh, well, how do we get there? We got a ride to Sacramento, tried to hitchhike out of there, could not get a ride. Somebody pulled over and said, go to Davis, jump the train. So we got a train and then a bus and another hitchhike ride. Got to <laughs> back to Oregon in 75. And uh, Tom went back to work with the truckers and we did all kinds of stuff. Great place to sow your wild oats and make some money while you're at it. Mm -hmm. um, but they had Charlie McCoy singles. He's a wonderful harmonica player, wonderful musician.
He was the, uh, Charlie McCoy, he was the music director of Hee Haw. Oh, yeah. He played bass on Bob Dylan's um, Nashville Skylines record, okay. among others. It's just, a, he's, he's a one-man wrecking crew. And he had beautiful harmonica singles. He plays beautiful harmonica. You've heard him. Yes. I don't think he did the Old Spice jingle, but he's done just all that. <laughs> he's, yeah. Anyways, I sat there and I happened to have the right keys harmonica because you have to have a different key, a different harmonica for every key. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'd sit in the corner and put my quarter in and, or dime in, I think at the time, play these two songs that I learned how to play them. Mm-hmm. So and it was everything I needed to know. Yeah. yeah. About country. Getting back to California and playing music, I met my buddy Jay at the record store. We started a band called the Redevelopment Blues Project. And that lasted for five years. And it was a great learning experience. We just figured out all kinds of stuff, how to how to run a band, how to be presentable on stage, show up on time, play a lot of music, mix it up, uh, never play two shuffles in a row. <laughs> If you ever start a band, listen to the drummer. Oh. Yeah. Drummer actually will tell you what you're doing wrong. You're playing the same beat constantly. You're playing songs too long and you wear out the dancers in one song. Well, I know you have to follow the drummer as far as like the count in typically. I mean, I'm, I mean, I've seen guitarists do it, but usually if you want a silent count in, it's the boom, 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 or whatever. That's <laughs> you know? so your bass and your drummer. If you yeah. got a good rhythm section, you're when I'm window dressing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, literally, it's like they'd be at a dance gig. Mm-hmm. Um, so I played so many different combos, but mostly duets mm-hmm. or acoustic with a, a string bass and a four piece bass, guitar, drums, and me. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the only way you make any money. <laughs> and uh, you can make a lot of noise with four people. Right. Yeah. And mix it up and just. You figure it out after a while, not get thrown out, maybe even get rehired here and there. Yeah. <laughs> now, based on what you're saying, you're basically self-taught, correct? Is you know, you never took lessons up, per se. I never or... really took lessons, <laughs> yeah. but I've hung out with some very uh very generous musicians. Mm-hmm. So it seems like it's the bass players. The other instrumentalists sold me stuff mm-hmm. about how songs should work. Mm-hmm. Um, end with a bang. Uh, it's really more of a range in the show. And I get, it's fun to solo. If you're a guitar player, people know you for your shredding solos, but it's really about the songs, um, finding songs that you can get behind as opposed to trying to be a crowd pleaser, which works for most people. It's just if you're doing uh, obscure music, which blues is like point two percent of the market in music so it's pretty obscure so you're, you're winning the crowd over every time you get out there mm-hmm. and our theory is if you play your music well you mix it up you're entertaining and then try and engage with people without being you know too overbearing uh it works it's a lot of fun and uh it's floated my boat for 30 years you know <laughs> between that and I do uh, photography I'm a photographer uh, when I can't get enough band gigs you know they support each other yeah what type of things do you do there typically like weddings and other events or I've done about a dozen weddings in my life and it's mostly for friends and, and, and I've got fine art art collections and buildings hmm. 
basically I have professional friends that uh, take pity on me and hire me and I figure out what Okay. <laughs> yeah. But you're just not saying click, 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 click. Here, here's some photos. You know, you, you actually are hired. So I guess that's half no, the battle. Exactly. There's so a bit you have to a it. Client <laughs> there's hire there's a bit to it. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's funny because I work for a, a wonderful architect who does a lot of schools around here and I get to photograph his projects when they're done. But I met him when he hired my band and the person that put us together said, by the way, this guy's cheaper and faster than the other guy you're working with. So give him a try. And it worked out. You, know, so you get a lot of uh, photography gigs that way, just because you're also doing the performing and it just through process of just communicating, you say, yeah, I take photos too. Oh, we'll hire you for that or whatever. Uh, generally, I kind of keep a firewall between the two. Oh, Not a hard one, but I just, if I'm playing a gig, I want to concentrate on that. You don't want to yeah. confuse people. It's very easy to confuse people, and you want to make, you know, <laughs> get your message across. This is the band, you know, this is the band you want to follow, whatever. And by the way, you know, how old's your kid? Oh, you need new pictures. I, I don't, I don't do that. <laughs> I'm a harmonica playing able... photographer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, you, yeah, that's it right there. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, sticking with the music a little bit longer. Um, yeah. Are you in a band now? You mentioned a band back in the seventies. I mean, do you, are you in a regular band or what do you typically do when you're on tour? Do you just jam with different people or what's, what's your typical touring life? I know we've had a pandemic for the past year, but barring that, what, what really do you typically do? <laughs> I really haven't toured very much. I went to Canada. Uh -huh. I, I, okay, my thing is I've been really lucky because if you play harmonica, nobody hires you. Uh, <laughs> if you sing and play harmonica, you might get some gigs. But the thing is you need to do, uh, how do you say it? You need to learn how to be a band leader and go out and hustle work. Hmm. And all everything involved with that marketing follow-up facebook uh you make get the email out get the message out uh everything you got to do everything it's a business you got to think of it as a business when you get up there on stage all that goes away you're doing what you got into it to do which is play music that you love to play yeah uh band thing i've always had not always but for the past 30 years i've had my own band which i've always trying to put over as number one then opportunities come up uh, i had my first real band i'll call it my first that i was running uh so from 90 1992 to about 95 it was uh the blackjacks hmm. yeah we were a little badass little blues band uh kind of modeled on fabulous thunderbirds and Hanson thunderbird because we were white guys playing blues and they were kind of like the template <laughs> for that and the butterfield blues band but we weren't rock a uh, rocking a uh, rock blues band we we're trying to play you know there really is a, a thing i to use terms but that makes blues idiomatically correct <laughs> uh, with the time and the feel and uh it's not rock and roll you have to unlearn everything you've ever learned in if you grew up playing rock and roll to play blues correctly uh, you're playing on the backbeat uh, you're, it's, it's an interplay with the instruments and it's very improvisational and yet and yet every song has a distinct hook or lake or whatever to it. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I had this band and it was 
doing pretty good, but we're all, but I was a bit of a toe gazer. We all were, uh, <laughs> we we're actually looking back on it. It was like, it was a good little band. Everybody went <laughs> off to do really cool stuff afterwards. I was invited to join a band where I played with the one famous guy I played with. I got to play with Brownie, Brownie McGee. Mm-hmm. So, uh, all you people out there, blues fans look up Brownie McGee and Sonny Terry. They were kind and of uh, Terry, yeah. <laughs> just a, a great you know, duet, basically. Though Brownie did everything. He was brilliant. He was really old. He got sick and passed away before we were supposed to go to Australia. So that, that's my touring career has had several uh, hard, you know, uh, <laughs> well, I, can say, I guess my terminology is I consider touring just performing. I mean, even if you just do it at the same location, but I consider it more touring because you're in different locations. I, I've seen you like at the Vasona Park. I've seen you at the Poor House. Uh, it seems like there's a couple other places I've seen you uh, when I used to live down in the San Jose area. Uh, so ah. how, 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 when I, I assume you've not done this recently, but when things are good and you're, uh, normally performing, how many kind of consistent locations do you tend to play at? It was, uh, it's really three or four. Okay. And then there's a few things that are one-offs. Okay. Uh, this place I play every month seasonally and annually. How's that? Okay. Yeah, because I, I get your uh, little news email, or I, you know, in the back, you know, whenever I say it is, I'm t- I'm talking 2019 <laughs> because okay. you're kind of slowly bringing it back. I see, you know, it's like I, I'm on your email list. Yeah, and it yeah. says I'm here, yeah. I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. It's got and, better. Yeah, and I hope it stays better. Yeah, yeah. Well, to paraphrase Thoreau, I've toured extensively in the uh, San Francisco Bay Area. Okay. Um, <laughs> You know, so I, I, I didn't travel, expect to be global, yeah. <laughs> globe-trotting world tour. You know, well, like, there was a time when I did. I was going oh, okay. to Australia for a couple of weeks. It was well, going to be true. great, okay. and then the, the main guy got sick, and we never did it. Mm-hmm. And I did play in Canada. We uh, toured in support of Robert Cray at, oh, uh, in, cool. at basically in Edmonton and Calgary, a couple other things up there. That was that year two thousand. That was going back to. My first band, uh, I'm going to jump back to 1995. I was invited to join a band called the Elmerly Thomas Blues Review, and it was great. Mm-hmm. And they had a bunch of gigs lined up besides the Brown and McGee thing. Uh, we did do San Francisco Blues Festival, Long Beach Blues Festivals. Did some really big festivals, you know, the California ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, this, the uh, Fountain Blues Festival, the one at San Jose State, that was a wonderful event. Got to open up for uh, Bo Diddley, got to meet him. Got to meet a lot of cool people. Cool. <laughs> yeah, they really did some stuff. Um, but there's a lot of work in the Bay Area. You just you got to go after it. and uh, Or be in four bands. Right now I'm in basically, <laughs> I, I go out and play duets at barbecue joints. Uh, right. Four Piece plays at bars. Mm-hmm. And I call it the festival band. I'm in a band called AJ Crawdaddy, and he gets some really nice gigs. Mm-hmm. Uh Side note on that, Angela Rossi was the lead guitar player for uh, Pablo Cruz. So oh. I guess that's another famous guy I get to play with and still get to play with. We played yesterday on Capitola that's on the wharf, and it was really nice. Do you just kind of come across these guys, or are you referred to people, or how do, how do you tend to you keep all showing these different up. You keep showing up, and you get known. And yeah, uh, There's another guy I got to play a lot of gigs with 
um, not for a couple of years. Jeffrey Halford, Jeffrey Halford and the Hateful Healers, great songwriter. He does 95% original material. And for some reason, he likes me playing harp with him. And we, it's totally different thing. It's like bluesy singer-songwriter rock. I mean, he's his own thing. Right. Um, and we have a great time playing. That, I met him through a recording studio that would call me once in a while when they needed a harmonica part on a song. But I didn't, you know, they didn't want me to join the band. Just like, we want harmonica on this this part of the song. I'm like, all right. You know, tell me, you know, kind of what, what kind of feel you want, you know, slow, medium, fast, sappy, you know, whatever. And we figure out some, and I did a couple of cuts for Halford and he called me for a bunch of gigs. It was great. A lot of fun. I toured extensively in Marin County with him. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, then he goes to Europe. He goes to Europe. He's going to go to Europe again. And I, uh, this month or September, and it just brings one or two people. Oh. <laughs> and uh, where they need support. Bring, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Phone it in. Phone it in. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, since you, you've played with a variety of different players and everything, you must have quite the repertoire of songs in your, I mean, or can you just kind of wing it and ad lib when you, you know, do a blues jam or how do you work? Well, there's a huge element of that, of being able to improvise slash ad lib. Then again, songs never really totally go away. And I've learned a lot of songs. Yeah, that's what I was saying. You probably have an incredible repertoire just from being around uh, for a while. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you you keep showing up. That's how you get gigs. That's how you meet people. You get to play with them. Open mics are great. I used to call them the hiring hall. There was a couple of open mics that are blues jams and some really wonderful musicians that show up and you get to play a couple of songs of them. And if like you get along, it's like, you know, let's exchange contact. I got a gig. Here's my song list. You know, yeah. if you got work, you, you amaze uh, people you can get to work with you. You know, mm-hmm. of course you gotta, you gotta, you gotta bring the goods or else they're not going to work with you. But right. yeah, it's got better. It's got better. Yeah. Now, throughout all this, do you write any songs? Do you do any of your own material or no? Um, Not really. I've written a few songs that have held up for me. I tend (laughs) to play every time I join a different band. Well, I got my three songs, um, you know, that I can work (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'll write it. I got an idea book. I just haven't really followed up with it. Okay. Uh, finishing a project again the whole change in media is like do I want to spend all this money on a, on a hard copy product that's going to be really hard to get any money back on right. I really have never been in funds enough to be able to just like you know, oh, let's whip out another CD it's got to pay for itself right. um, I really need I really need some live video and stuff just to put up on social what have you mm-hmm. but uh yeah, I haven't finished. I, I'm on a lot of CDs. I like talking about these studios. <laughs> call me to play a few songs, but I've not done anything in my own initiative in 20 years. Right. Uh, I got one about halfway done, and it's still <laughs> about halfway done. Yeah. Over easy. Yeah. <laughs> but speaking of CDs, you know, I, I just wanted to quote. I had Gary Puckett on this show about a couple months ago, and he says. Right on. Yeah, you know, he says I'm still selling CDs on my website. Why? 
because you can't sign a, a streaming audio. Yes. <laughs> so there is a reason for having CDs still uh, after all this time, or tapes or whatever you want, whatever physical format. <laughs> Phantom in we played yesterday, AJ Crowd Eddie, a bunch yeah. of CDs. I think the, the, the thing is, you know, throw, you know, don't, put a 10 or a 20 in the tip jar and take a CD. Or people will buy them, and people are quite generous. And I say, I talk to people at gigs, like, I mean, they have a CD player. It's like, well, they make nice coasters. It's a nice <laughs> memento, a nice talisman, a nice keepsake. You know, you was here, and we'll sign it for you. Yeah. What's the thing with your work of art? It's called a unique Not a shashka, not a shashka, no. No, no, there's a thing. A coaster. It does a unique digital... Uh, it'll come to me tomorrow. Yes. <laughs> uh, no, I was just reading about it. These artists are doing these things where it's a one-off, some kind of digital media. Yeah. And uh, well, I, I've uh, seen people do this with CDs. Um, they'll make them into clocks, you know, especially CDs that have like some sort of silk screen, uh, some sort of thing on it. You know, a little yeah. bit of artwork. Yeah. 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 And they've done it with uh, vinyl records too, because they'll have the whole. All you do at the two is put the ears into it the and the hands on one side you get a clock so hey another use for a cd <laughs> i gotta tell you it's really nice i have a lot of cds i kept them i still have tapes i still have a tape player because i've been in the business for a while and you can you can digitize that stuff but a it takes time right and B, I know people that have lost all kinds of music because their ID got messed up with Apple or somebody. Right. Uh, I own the hard copy. Yeah. I have a playable. I, I mean, I still have a nice, you know, I got the gear to play it with. I mean, I'm the same play. way. It just amazes me, like what you just said, you know, a CD player. What do you do when a new format comes along? You just junk it. I mean, it doesn't take that much room in your house. <laughs> you know? I don't know. It just seems. Yeah, the, tra- the transition from vinyl to CDs was like, uh, this is cool. I mean, it takes up so much less space. Yeah. You know, space is always a consideration, but um, accessibility is yeah. primary. I get. I guess I'm weird because I have like a CD player, a DVD player, a Blu-ray player, a, uh, two turntables. A tape player. Uh, what else? Only one uh, tape player? A 16-millimeter uh, projector and an 8-millimeter projector. And it's like I keep them all because, you know, I have different formats of everything, and I haven't transferred it over. I'm like you. And, yeah, it's fine to keep it on film. It's fun to thread up the film every so often. I haven't done it in a while, but, you know, uh, I could get it transferred. But usually the stuff I have on film is on DVD. It's just that it's fun to watch it on a different format sometimes. Yeah, we have a 16-millimeter projector. as my dad's, and we'll yeah. you know, have a f- home movie night once in a while with my sisters in Santa Cruz, and uh, they're really fun to watch. You right. Know, you got the screen, you got the stuff. It's it's so novel. Mm-hmm. That's why I am on a record. I am on one vinyl record. Ooh, which one? <laughs> Jeffrey Halford. Uh, it'll take me, a minute to find, take me a minute to find the record. <laughs> I don't want to jump away. I should have pulled it out to be able to hold it up the screen. That's okay. But, um, <laughs> just done a couple of cuts, just playing harmonica, but he sold them out. Mm. His label, he's got a label, and they say that a press, a couple hundred of them, gone. So that's the niche right. market, that's the thing, is figuring out a way to market to the 0.1%, because they'll spend money on your stuff. Yeah. Everybody else trying to figure out how to get it for free. Well, that's, that's like me with all my you books. Know? I mean, it's like, 
I'm not gonna have a New York Times bestseller. I wish I would, but I mean, I know that there are animation fans that will buy those books, and music fans that will buy those books, and yes. comic book fans that will buy those books. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, there, we, again, back to CDs. People will buy them. It's a yes. wonderful thing. A lot of times, they'll just do it because they're enjoying themselves. They like the music. No. And they know somebody with a CD player. And they just want to have it because they had a good time. Mm-hmm. People like keepsakes. And, right. uh, you know, they'll take everybody's on so many. You know, I'm, I, I don't know how many hundreds or thousands of amazingly crummy video clips I'm on. <laughs> so, I, yesterday, I'm in a thing. And there's like 7, 8, 10, 12, 20 people, you know, doing videos. And they're out there somewhere. And uh, that's nice. So it's kind of, you know, people, that's the way people do it now. But uh, fortunately, my demographic still buys stuff. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Now, is harmonica the only thing you play? I know you said you don't play the violin. (laughs) But is there any other instruments you at least can play or try to play or no? Okay. I have a bass, an electric bass. And I can work out bass lines on it. I can hear all the parts. It's just, again... Uh, stamina and dexterity. Right. Uh, I actually play one song. It's a two-note song. It's just boom, 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 banana, boom, boom. It's real simple. Um, and after about four minutes, all the tendons in my arms are screaming. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, it takes so much dexterity and technique to play guitar, bass, drums properly. You know, playing well for three, four hours. It's... it's uh, <laughs> There's so much to it. It's that people make it look easy, you know. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, always respect that. They're the professionals. Yeah. That's why. I mean, even you, you make, you know, I've seen you in uh, performance many times, you know, and you make Things, the I harmonica say. look easy. You know, you just pull it out, and you're all, oh, 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 or just one note like you're talking about. And it's like, you know, I have two or three harmonicas. I can't get anything out of it. It's, it's like just a breathing machine. <laughs> but you know i know it's it's talent plus practice plus perseverance on all these things so you, you know, gotta want it you gotta yeah, want it real exactly yeah the, the closest i ever did is i played piano for 10 years but i never had uh the the gumption for lack of a better term the the, the stick-to-itiveness to keep doing it you know i just it didn't excite me the, the only good thing about learning how to play the piano is I did learn how to write music. I did learn how to read music. And I know music theory and all the compo- classic composers and everything like that. So I'm very knowledgeable in that regard. But, you know, it's like to actually do it, you know, you know, pick up a guitar and blah, 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 you know, whatever, you know, no. To make music. Yeah. <laughs> to make music. And I was never able to jam with anybody. So I, I, I kudos to you. And it's like, uh, it was when I was in my 20s. I said, you know, I put, took piano for 10 years, and I can't do what you did. It was this guy who just picked up a mandolin. He normally played guitar, and he just picked it up and started playing it. And I said, how do you do that? Just pick up a mandolin. And he goes, well, do you play by ear or do you play by sight? And I go, well, my piano teacher always told me to play by sight, not by ear. And he goes, that's your problem. You have to unlearn everything. you got to relearn by Back ear. And I'm like, unlearn <laughs> and i had lessons see that's why i asked did you have lessons or no and you said pretty much on the job training or self-taught right so 
you know. <laughs> well, going back to you were it was you and your teacher and your piano. Yeah. You didn't have a friend that made you learn how to play with a bass or play with a guitar no, no. or sing with you. Because uh, I was I was good, but um, you know, there's two people in my school um, that were excellent, and so I always felt like you know I can kind of play the piano, you know, and I was intimidated back then. Nowadays, I probably wouldn't be, but you know. It's hindsight. No, no, no. When you're a kid, it's horrible. <laughs> you, know, you know, it's so when you get when I'm playing Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star, and they're playing, you know, bum, 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 you know, and I was like, ah, I can't play that, you know. Or they can just jam in. It's like, all right, take it. You know, and they're like Chico Marx going, you know, whatever. I go, I can't do that. And to top it all off, one of the kids uh, was blind, and he was a zillion times better than me. And I was like, <laughs> the other guy, uh, uh, he actually became semi-famous. I'll name drop him. His, his brother's been on my show. His, my, his brother's name is Andrew Goldfarb. But the one who was the excellent pianist is a guy named Ed Goldfarb. I don't know if you've ever heard of him, but... Uh, he, he's worked for Francis Ford Coppola and stuff like that. And oh, my. Sounds familiar, but I can't yeah. honestly stand it. He's been around, so you might have bumped into him. But anyway, yeah. so. <laughs> over he's the brilliant years. and successful? I don't know. <laughs> well, he's brilliant. I don't know about it. Well, he's more successful than me. I don't know about being yeah. like mega Elton John successful or something or Billy Joel successful. But, I mean, he's successful enough that, you know, he has a nice house and Marin and stuff like that. So, <laughs> it's like, you know. He made a living at it. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So, yeah. I more power to him. I'm not jealous or anything. It's like it, that was his path. This is, you know, and I went on a different path. But, it, uh, you know, I always kind of thought, hmm, if I applied myself a little bit more, would I have done, you know, or would I have just kind of floundered just trying? Wasn't meant to be. Yeah. Wasn't yeah. meant to be. And you can always pick it up. Yeah. yeah. But I, I don't have a strong, strong desire. I'd rather write music and have other people perform it. You know, it's like, because, you know, like I said, I know how to write music. I know all the notation and everything like that. So, and even back in the day, um, I, when I was playing piano, I, w I did this thing called Composers Today. And I actually won a couple times. And I only entered like three or four times. And for me to win a couple times, I wasn't even trying. I was just like, well, this sounds pretty good. And I notated it down, turned it in. <laughs> and I got a little award thing for it <laughs> that's my story <laughs> so we finally got your story yes that's my music row. story yeah i haven't told that on my work is done you no, got it out kidding. of me <laughs> <laughs> so now that things are kind of opening up i know you said uh, the last year year and a half you weren't doing anything are you like uh performing every night or are you just kind of easing back into it or what what what's what's grabbing everything you can get okay I mean, uh, again, as I work with a lot of people, there's a few venues that have been very adventurous. We kept doing live streams almost for most of the duration of COVID, where we'd get the band inside and people could come and do to-go or uh, stand outside. Then they had limited outdoor seating, and that went away, and then it came back. Mm. Uh, but I managed to stay in practice through That's it good. all. Yeah. And, um when the weather got better, fortunately, California get a long outdoor season. So we'd play, you know, 20 feet away from people and let people, you know, spread the tables out. 
Now it's like all restrictions are gone. Now they're probably going to come back. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> but uh, it's been really, I mean, it, it's been pretty good. I am knock on wood. It's been a flurries of gigs and I'm you know, looking to see what we can do with uh, my various combos that I play with <laughs> and try and keep them going again. It's like you get a network of players and somebody, I get gigs somewhere I call. I have two or three people playing each instrument that know my repertoire. So if I can't get, you know, Johnny and, uh, Dave and Ron, I call the other guys and they're like, Oh yeah, I'm in. Yeah. <laughs> Do you ever get stretched too thin? Like, you know, this group of guys no. wants you for this gig and no. this group of guys wants your no. gig the same. There's, there's like, always ah, double. <laughs> no, that, that doesn't come. Yeah. It's pretty rare. Okay. Yeah. Things work out. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, the other thing I was going to ask you is like, um, shoot, I, it just came into my brain and then went. So I'll ask something else. <laughs> Um, yeah, it'll come back. Yes. Yeah. Um, so tell me the, the Poor House Bistro story again. What was that about? I, I'm just kind of curious. I just wanted to hear that one again, just because you said what, when you were up here recently uh, that they were moving and everything. And what, what was the story with Google and everything like that uh, you had told me and why they had to move? Oh, well, there's a, basically a couple of city blocks that uh, Google is made deals to, you know, they paid good money and they bought up all this property and they're going to uh, demolish everything and build a whole new, you know, Google city. If you know where the arena, you know where the arena is between the arena and the train station. Like the, river, the shark, the shark tank, the, that thing. Or the we just call it the arena. Yeah. Okay. I don't know what the whoever's paying, whoever's paying to put their name on it. Yeah. The shark tank. Yeah. Anyway, the big arena there. Um, <laughs> Side note, I hate it when the public or bonds pay for a structure and then, you know, amalgamated mega whatever gets put their name on it for a pit. I, uh, I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I'm still the one. I still call things by their old name, like Concord like Pavilion. Highway 17? Yeah. yeah. yeah uh, Concord Pavilion. I don't call it whatever it is, the sleep train. I don't even know what they call it. It's but now Concord it's not Pavilion. sleep train because yeah. they're gone. I don't know what it's called. I don't live right. there anymore. You know, it's the something pavilion. It's like. Let's go just, back. Let's go back to the, the the thing before I forget. The Google bought all this property, and um, they're going to demolish everything. But they made a deal with the owner of the Poros Bistro because they, you know, they some of them have a semblance of a conscience and like, uh, okay, this might save us some face if we move the house, mm-hmm. which the Poros is, is situated in, which has been there for going on eighty years. It was moved from somewhere else in downtown. So the house already moved once onto its current location. And it's like, I, I the think one, I remembered that. I had forgotten. It's, it. it's the one house that's on a mass, you know, it's a, a commercial area. There's two houses that were moved there and everything else has been commercial forever. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're going to move it down the street around the, around the arena into what's called little Italy, mm-hmm. uh, which is behind on the North side of the arena. And um, that's going to happen in the fall. Mm-hmm. in autumn it's going to move down autumn street and mm-hmm. uh they're going to reestablish the venue and the new location and try and you know start over again uh with the same it's a new orleans themed restaurant i'm sure they'll add they serve a lot of pasta they're the owners of italian mm-hmm. family from 
way back. Um, yeah, so that's the story. They're going to pick it up, move it, and then demolish everything else in that block and build this giant new thing. Yeah. Interesting. I had forgotten it had moved to there. I thought it was already there, but I think wasn't it originally like on First Street or something? I don't know where it was. It was, it was somewhere, somewhere in the old, yeah. the old downtown San Jose. Yeah. Anyway, while we were talking, my other question did come back, and it had been coming back and going way, way back at the top of the show. You said that um, performing blues is different than performing rock and roll, but you didn't really explain why. So what is the difference? I mean, obviously, jazz and blues sounds different than rock and roll, but as far as playing it, how is it different? Playing on the backbeat. Okay, so explain that. I guess I'm... Modern blues is, is blues rock, which okay. people seem to love, and shredding guitars. Okay. Uh, you remember, you, you're a, something of a history buff. I mean, all the old comics and stuff. Yeah. Uh, anyway, music, especially blues, was started off. You know, the songs had to be three minutes long to fit on a 45. Right. So the thing that, so the shorter songs, I think live People would, you know, stretch them out a little bit, jam them out, whatever. Mm-hmm. But um, if you're playing to a format, you need to, you know, pare things down a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just the sentiment. It's just, it's, I'm going to say softer, but it's hard music. But it's, um, I mean, there's a harder edge. It is blues, even though a lot of it is, it's, it can, it covers the spectrum of moods, which you can, it's just how you vary. Uh, the attack theme, you know, notes, you know, about, you know, the John Williams of the world can write, uh, change your mood in a split second between frames when you're watching a movie. And there's a whole science to using sound to create mood. But that's been going on since uh, the Greeks figured out, uh, you know, the modes. Um, Certain music makes you happy. Certain music makes you sad. Blues can do that. The magic of blues is a sad sentiment with a happy, with a happy feel. Yeah. Uh, the only reason I ask is because immediately when you're talking about rock and roll, I think of things like Love Me Do and From Me to You, the earliest Beatles stuff where they did a lot of harmonica and stuff like that. And it's like, but that's considered rock and roll. So I'm like, you know, is that that much difference? I mean, they're, there can be well, some jazz in Rock and roll covers a huge spectrum. I mean, yeah. progressive rock, metal. I mean, just what it's become. Yeah. Uh, I just, I see a theme where a lot of old rockers, God bless them, um, you know, they slow down a little bit. I want to be a blues man now. You know, and they, they can just play 12. Uh, the form is the 12 bar blues. Right. 12, 12 measures, uh, tonic, subdominant, dominant, whatever you call it. You're the theory guy. Yes, yeah. See, I, I learned. That, I learned all that. I, know all that. I forgot it. <laughs> anyway, usually three chords, sometimes one. I mean, there's there's variations. There's stuff with an A A B A. There's, uh, but the basic roots of it is twelve bar, which people tend like. Oh, I can do that. Anybody can play twelve bars. Like, no, there's just a feel to it. Right. Uh, it's, it's phrasing. Just a million. I don't. I can't even cover it here. Mm. Basically, it's not as hard. You don't play it as hard, and, mm. and no slag on anything. All good music is good music. I'm just saying to play blues. 
that would feel right. You just the attack is different. It's just uh, more sensuous. <laughs> yeah, it's not so infrared. <laughs> now, one other question is one, one time when I saw you perform, uh, I came up to you during the break in the show or something, and you opened, it was all, almost like a doctor's bag, and you had like about, seemed like about 10 different harmonicas in there. And I know you said earlier that you have one for each key. Um, does that, does each key, like on a piano, the key of C is a lot easier to play than, say, the key of B flat, let's say, something like that. Is that the same with harmonicas? That No. All you okay. got to do is figure it out once. Okay. <laughs> so. so for playing an E, there's basically three basic positions. So there's like seven or eight little things you can do. Mm-hmm. Uh, you hear Bob Dylan, that's called straight harp. The band's in A. He's playing an A harmonica. Mm-hmm. And the blow, one blow is your tonic. And um, it has that campfire feel. Right. <laughs> Pro- cross harp is a fourth up. If you're playing, uh, and the band is an A, uh, you're playing a D harmonica, your tonic is uh, the second draw, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I know where it is. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. I you can probably find know it how without to do looking. It. Explaining it. I can find it, it without looking. <laughs> And that's the dominant thing is to play cross harp. It's called cross harp or second position. Yeah. And uh, the fun one, it took me years to really get into is third position. It's very mournful sounding uh, or can be. Mm-hmm. And um, that's, I got to look at the chart every time, but uh, <laughs> basically the higher keys, I say if the band is in uh say B, I can use that A harmonica and get it to a totally different sound and so make it something really sad if you want it real sad. Yeah, just how the, the notes are built in. It's called the uh, the diatonic scale. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just so basically playing basically all diatonic. so basically playing all of them are is about the same. It's just the the real thing is like what you said, different key. And there's three different positions. It depends on that. So you get a variation in feel of the song. Okay. Which I don't want to go into, but you can right. make it sound different. <laughs> you know, they're the same, if the band's in the same key. And you get different stuff you can do. Uh, the higher, but yeah, so I generally I'll just switch the harp. Depends mm-hmm. on what the song is. And sometimes I'll play in second cross. Sometimes I'll play in third. I almost never play straight harp. Mm-hmm. I, uh, Jimmy Reed... It's all pretty much straight harp. I, I I don't know why. I just never got into it all these years. <laughs> I figured it out, and it's like, meh, you only do so much, and that was my limitation, no doubt. Yeah. And and typically during any song, you just use one. You wouldn't switch necessarily, or do you? Sometimes, if the yeah. band goes up a key, you know, when yeah. you go up two frets, I should take go up two harps, but no. Yeah, that's what I was saying because I haven't seen you do it during a song before. Of course, I haven't seen you perform everywhere, but you know, it's like, but just between songs, I've seen you do it. You know, I've only in one band what we do that, and it was like, you know, a small novelty, scant variation. <laughs> Stay in the key. You've you got to change keys to make it different. I got country does that a lot, where you go, bum, 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 you go up a step, and it works. You yeah. Know? <laughs> yeah. Now, with any of the people that you play with, since they, I assume they trust you, uh, do they ever just say, 
ticket, Jim, and then you you know you go wailing out on the Harper. <laughs> you you still kind of try to be more in the background than a lead, as it were, on any and song. So, well, generally, you're, everybody there's a solo or two or three yeah. on every okay. song. That's part of this the form. Right. It's uh, improvisational, and sometimes I do a few instrumentals. I mean, there's a million instrumentals. But, I mean, you're allowed to take it anywhere you want to as long as you bring it back, I guess, is what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, and they're okay. My thing that. is, yeah. <laughs> I th- my thing is, if when I'm singing, a guy takes a 10-minute solo, and I, I've forgotten what song I'm singing. <laughs> what am I, I, what am I singing? <laughs> I don't, it's like, there are things where you should do. Freddie King. Play the most wonderful guitar instrumentals. And the guys I work with, I say, just hey, hey man, yeah. you want to, you know, you really want to shred something, do, do your Freddie King instrumental or two or three. I'm fine with that. Well, I always find that fascinating. Sure is, you know, yeah. I always find that fascinating, but I guess that's part of being in a band is you can kind of, you have a feel of where everybody, how they play and where they're going. So if somebody goes here, you have the ability to follow or if they, you take it somewhere, they'll follow you or whatever, you know, without everybody just suddenly collapsing. Ideally, <laughs> ideally, if, again, that's the whole thing of use makes master. Uh, if you're playing a song, you can take it, move around with it within the song, you yeah. know. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I still find that fascinating. It's probably easy for you, but for me, I'm like, wow, that's really neat. <laughs> I'm easily impressed, but, you know, it's like, that's what, you know, makes it music for me. You know, There like, is a thing to it. I mean, it takes time. as oh, I shouldn't, you know, be playing over the other guy's solo. I shouldn't be playing o- over the singer. Yeah. Yeah, especially if you're playing a horn, harmonica, you know, a, a single note, or you're not rhythm section. Guitar is rhythm section primarily, you know. Yeah. And we're used to shredding guitar solos, but the fellows I play with play wonderful uh, rhythm guitar. I mean, you, you you don't need a long shredding solos on every song. Right. <laughs> uh, there's so much, again, that's is the response to the venue and the setting. Right. Uh, if it's a dance crowd, you don't want to, I, I don't like doing really, really long songs. I don't want to beat up the dancers and mix up the beats. <laughs> Play enough of a solo the for the listeners. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And every song is different. We got some two minute and 50 second songs. And there's some songs where the whole band kind of jams out. We get a little Grateful Daddy with it, like once a night. Mm -hmm. That's not my thing. I'm not a jam band. I can play with jam bands. I play with jam bands. It's hella fun. But I'm not playing blues. And I'm playing their stuff with a kind of a bluesy feeling. All this other stuff I've done. So apart from the music and the photography, you mentioned that, uh, what else do you do if you have spare time? I'll say <laughs> when you have spare time. Uh, go for hikes, ride my bike, uh, sleep in when I can. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's pretty much it. If you're yeah. doing what you love to do. Right. You know, I've been lucky. I mean, I, I, I've had a subsistence artistic life for many yeah. years. I'm very fortunate in my living situation. Um, I did a little gardening today. I cut a big oh. hedge. <laughs> yeah. Keeps the rent down. Then you do travel. And then you do travel up here every so often. So I see you then. Yeah, I go up, visit mom. And <laughs> I got a lot of people in Oregon now. Yeah. 
Ever think of moving back here, or you like it in the Bay Area? I've thought of it many times. I just, again, it's a totally different scene. It'd be really hard to break in up there. Yeah. I love new drummers and bass players. Uh, your front man, it'd be hard. Hmm. It'd be hard. I know enough musicians I can play some gigs, but uh, it's a different scene. You know, I love Oregon. I love hanging out up there. I lived up there. I came back. because right. I could. <laughs> A brief aside about California. There's people that rip on California tend to have never been here (laughs) or people that live here and never been anywhere else. Um, A lot of people move away and have a great time. And like yourself, you've landed on your feet. I'm just saying, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's not as horrible as people make it up to be. I mean, I've thought about coming back, but I have to come back, you know, where there's work. I mean, it's just like you, but I mean, you know, it could happen right now is probably not going to just because, you know, the wife's in school and everything like that, like I said, but once that's done, she could arguably be anywhere. So, well, I might have to wrap it up here and then we'll take it off offline. And, you know, uh, <laughs> thank you, Jim Durance for being my special guest today. And uh, we'll see you next time on the fun ideas podcast. We had recorded an ending, but due to a slip-up, it didn't save. So what Jim was going to say next is that he is appearing soon as the Jimmy Durant's Blues Band at locations such as Murphy's Law in Sunnyvale, Little Lou's Barbecue in Campbell, the Capitola Wharf House, and the Counter Custom Burgers in Fremont. If you are anywhere in the San Francisco Bay Area, it's worth seeking him out. You can also get on his mailing list by emailing him at jimmydblue at gmail.com or checking out his Jim Durant's Facebook page. Thank you for listening, and thank you, Jim Durant, for being my special guest. Remember, you can always watch the video version of this episode on YouTube. Episode number 127 will be coming soon. If you would like to comment and or be a guest on this podcast, please drop me a line at funideas.mark at gmail.com. Become a patron of Mark Arnold and Fun Ideas Productions. If everyone listening just contributed a dollar a month, that would be a tremendous help in continuing the production of my books and this podcast. Also, subscribe to my YouTube channel. The opening and closing music for the Fun Ideas Podcast is provided courtesy of Danny Salazzi of the characters and is used with permission. This has been the Fun Ideas Podcast. This is Mark Arnold speaking. This episode is copyright 2021 Fun Ideas Productions. Thank you and good night.